I want to introduce my friend today, Bob Moeller. Bob is one of the kindest, gentlest men you will ever meet, but one of Bob's passions, one of Bob's passions is to see our marriages here on earth look like the love that Jesus has for his church. He wants it to be a living picture for the world to see. He also has a passion to see hearts changed, lives changed and transformed. Now, Bob was a pastor, and then he started a ministry, and I'll let him tell you about that ministry and the name about it, and he has some resources back on the table. And as mentioned earlier, after this session, Bob will uh, be teaching a, a second session, and I know you're thinking, Pastor, it's like the last real Sunday of the summer. Stay for that? Yeah. I think you should, and I'd encourage you to. And we, again, we'll be in the adult CE room. But would you welcome my friend and Buffalo Free's new friend, Bob Muller. Thank you, Greg, for, uh, Pastor Greg, for such a gracious uh, invitation. It's good to be back in Minnesota. I'm from Chicago now. But I was raised in uh, Richfield, uh, grew up here in Minnesota, went to Bethel, and then um, later on went on to seminary, moved, and have been different places. But every, off, every so often I try and get, a, get back here for the state fair, and I was able to do that on Thursday. Um, I've gained three pounds since uh, coming to Minnesota. You know, everything's on a stick there, right? And I saw a t-shirt on Thursday that said, Minnesota State Fair, the great stick together. <laughs> I think that sums it up, doesn't it? My wife and I, Cheryl, have been married 40 years as of this June. We were, uh, thank you. We were married in Minneapolis in 1979, and we pastored our first church. Uh, Salem Evangelical Free Church in Minneapolis in um, uh, the early 80s. We now have six grown children. Uh, we have seven grandchildren. And Cheryl and I, for the last 10 years, have dedicated ourselves to a ministry of healing hearts and restoring marriages. Uh, that is uh, what we feel is God's call on our life. I want to thank Greg for giving me the opportunity to share his pulpit. It's always a risk to get a guest speaker. Let's just face it. You know, when it's someone you haven't heard before, I don't know. It could go either way. Uh, I heard the story of a pastor who was away on vacation and invited a guest speaker. And that morning as the congregation was coming in, uh, an older woman came to the back, to the usher, and said, uh, would you give me a place up front? I'd like to sit on the front row. And he said, well, certainly, ma'am. But uh, as he was walking down the, 
the aisle with her, his conscience got to him, and he stopped and he said, ma'am, listen, I have to tell you, I have heard this speaker before. Uh, he's somewhat boring. Uh, he goes way over time. He tells the same stories. He laughs at his own jokes. You, you might not want to sit on the front row. You could end up feeling trapped. And she kind of stiffened up and said, young man, do you know who I am? He said, no, ma'am. She said, I am the speaker's mother. <laughs> well, he stiffened up and said, do you know who I am? And she said, no. And he said, good. Um, <laughs> so it's a risk. This morning, I'd like to look at the longest teaching of our Lord Jesus on the topic of marriage. It's the most he said at one point at any one time, and it's Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse 3. Before I read that passage, I want you to ponder a question. What is the ultimate cause of all relationship problems, particularly marriage problems? There's all sorts of explanations, uh, bad communication, uh, emotional immaturity, uh, financial issues. Uh, those are what I call fruit problems. They're the fruit that is on the tree. But I don't believe it's the root of the tree. The root of the tree goes much deeper. And you're never going to solve relationship problems. You're never going to solve your marriage problems until you get to the root. And here Jesus tells us what that is in Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came to test him, the Bible tells us. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. He replies, haven't you read? Now that was a very, very stinging rebuke and reply because what he said to them, in essence, was, don't you read the Bible? And at that time, of course, they only had the Law and the Prophets, not the New Testament. But he said, don't you read the Scriptures? And many of them, indeed, had even memorized the entire Bible. Yes, because it was transmitted in, in an oral fashion in those days, more, much more so than written. Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? He, they come to him, they want to argue law, technicality. When can I get out of my marriage? When is it okay with God if I, if I leave somebody? And he stops by saying, I'm, I'm not here this morning are today with, to talk about legalities. Let's start by talking creation, which must have left them wondering, what in the world do you mean? He said, let's start with the, with the truth that every marriage is a creation of God. I've been, I, I've been married 40 years. I've been in the, in the church since I was 18 serving. And in all those years, I've never married anybody. And it's not because I don't do weddings. I love to do weddings. I don't marry anybody because I can't. Only God can. 
Only God can take two people and make them one. Let's continue in the text. He said, for this reason, the Creator made the male and female, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis chapter 2. And by the way, Genesis chapter 2, Jesus quotes it and Paul quotes it, all referring to marriage. Some say it's the only premarital advice God ever gave in his word, specifically. He goes on to say, so they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. doesn't say who Pastor Moeller joined together, or chaplain, or father, or whoever might have married, did the ceremony. He said what God has joined together. It's God who marries. It's God who does a miracle each time two people pledge their life together in a holy covenant before God. They come in the, the, the sanctuary, two people, they leave one. And certainly no man can make that happen. Only God Every marriage represented here today, can I tell you, you are a creation of God. There's never been one like you. There never will be one after you. What God did to make you two one was a miracle. Well, marriages struggle, don't they? Marriages don't always find it easy, do they? <laughs> there was a couple that had been married 50 years. 50 years. And one day, he's sitting in the living room, and he decides, after all these years, my wife deserves a compliment. It's, it's probably been too long. So, sitting on the couch, he yells into the kitchen from the living room, 50 years, tried and true. 50 years, that's right, tried and true. Well, she didn't quite hear him, so she comes out in her apron and says, well, after 50 years, I'm sick and tired of you, too. Um, <laughs> she didn't hear it quite right, what he was trying to say. And sometimes we men don't get it out just right, do we? we? We do our best, but it falls short. Well, why then, these Pharisees asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus replied, and here we get to the crux of this, here we get to the answer to my question, the ultimate cause. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Your hearts were hard. Now I know today listening there are those of you who are the innocent party of a, of a failed marriage. Some of you, it's not what you wanted. You would have stayed married for a lifetime, and that's not how it worked out. I, I understand that. Many of you may have made decisions that you look back on with a certain amount of regret or pain. I want to tell you that God can heal your heart. I want to tell people this morning that if you're struggling in your marriage, there's hope for you.
that there is an answer that God has that goes to the root of the issues in your life. So what is the ultimate cause of relationship problems? It's a hard heart, he says. He says you were permitted because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. God didn't create any of us with a hard heart. Nobody here. God has a heart, we have a heart. Well, what is a heart? The heart is where we give and receive love. God has a heart. We're made in his image. He gave all of us a heart to give and to receive love. But there are, there are things that can harden or damage our heart. And I'd like to look at those for a moment, if I can. What is a damaged heart? It's a heart that's been damaged by sin. That's our choices. To rebel against God, his character, his word. But then there is pain. Well, what is pain? That's what other people do to us that we didn't sign up for. That's the hurt that comes into our lives as children and as teenagers and in our young adult years, maybe even later. That, that pain, it's not our doing. It's not what we ask for. But someone else inflicts it. And our heart is broken. And our heart is wounded. And we find ways to protect it. And we build walls so this can't happen again to us. I remember years ago, a couple came to us. We have an intensive marriage intervention ministry, among other things. Um, we, we, we spend five days, three days, three hours a day for an entire week with just one couple. So if a couple is having issues, they can come to us for five days, three hours a day, and we will work through those heart issues. Now, one of the things that I perhaps sets us apart, we're not professional counselors. Um, I, I earned some degrees, but like my three-year-old daughter once said when she was young, my daddy's a doctor, but not the kind that helps people. Okay, <laughs> so that's, that's how I define my, myself. People come for help. And when I ask them on Monday, what's the problem? And by the way, these are usually marriages quite often near the end of the rails. Stage four marriages. They look at the other person and say, well, Pastor Bob, uh, the problem's sitting right over there. It's, it's him. And he points and says, it's her. Fix her, we'll be good. And I have to break the news to them, hard as it is, they may be a problem in your life, they're not the problem. They may be a big problem to you, but they're not the problem. Well, what is the problem? And I say, it's your heart. It's your heart. Both of you have damaged hearts, and you're struggling to give and receive love, and you're self-focused on your own pain, and maybe there are sin issues, and the end result is you cannot give and receive love. Well, for time's sake, Let's just take a look at a few symptoms of a damaged heart. One is playing the sculpture. What does that mean? I'm trying to change my spouse. 
Now, I don't want to show of hands this morning, but how many of you are trying to change your spouse? Okay, all right. How many of you know your spouse is trying to change you? Don't raise your hand. How's that working? Is that almost done? They've almost fixed you? Or are you just where you always were, only a little bit more resentful as a result? Well, I have good news. If you think your job is to change your spouse, you're fired. That's right. This morning you're being laid off. It's big pink slip time. Why? Why am I firing you? Because no one can change their spouse except God. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, not us. Many of us are in the way of our spouse changing. Think of three cups on a table. Here's you, or here's God, here's you, here's your spouse. You've been trying to change them all these years. God is over here, and you haven't gotten anywhere. Can I suggest you just switch cups? You move out here, put God in the middle. And tell God what you want changed, and let him tell your spouse. If in his wisdom and love and what he agrees with you, he can do that. But our spouse is never going to change till we get out of the way. You see, if I tried to change Cheryl and I was even halfway successful, look what would happen. She would, because I'll tell you, let's be honest. If we try and change somebody, it's to make them like us, right? <laughs> can we just moment of real candor? I would change my spouse so they're more like me, Right? The problem was she would have all her problems plus my problems now. <laughs> She'd be twice as bad off as she started. But that doesn't happen if God does the change. Let's look at another um, issue if we can. Let's see. Emotional window shopping. That's where we start looking around and saying, you know, if I was married to him, I'd be a lot happier. If I had her for a wife, so much better. Emotional window shopping. The devil comes along and says, why window shop? Go ahead and make a purchase. Go on into the store. And that's where things get started. Years ago, I said we had a couple come to us where she discovered he was having an affair on Facebook. Social media has brought a whole new challenge to marriages, let me tell you. You can now connect with your high school sweetheart, you know, 35 years later, or whatever, and you can, well, he had connected with somebody and was seeing her on business trips, and his wife finally discovered the evidence, and they came to us, and at that point, she was about fed up, ready to quit, as you can understand. He was sullen, I don't think really repentant, but they came to give their marriage one last try. Well, one of the things that we do is listen to people's life story. I actually don't judge anyone. That's not my job. God is our judge, the Bible tells us. We can judge behavior, right or wrong, but how can I judge anybody? I haven't lived their life. I haven't known their pain. How can I say if I, if I had lived your life, I would have turned out a lot better than you? None of us can say that. So we don't judge people. We listen to their story. And when it was his turn to tell me his story, it was painful. He was an identical twin. He had a twin brother. And he was 10 or 11 years old, 9 or 10. 
his brother developed leukemia. His parents hid it from him at first, but as his brother grew worse, and this was before the day of, you know, marrow transplants and all the miracles they can do today, none of that was available then. And eventually his brother got worse and worse, and he eventually died. Well, that was, that was awful enough. And then he said to me, in the day of the funeral, no one spoke to me. He said, nobody comforted me. Nobody knew what to say, so they stayed away from me. It was, it was too overwhelming, so I was left in the front row, and I said, well, didn't your relatives or somebody? And he said, from my recollection, no one spoke to me. At the, at the luncheon, a, a, one aunt came by and asked me how I was doing and then just kind of kept moving. Well, his wife looked at him and said, that's, that's, that's horrible, that's devastating. How, how could that happen? And He said, yeah, that was 40 years ago, 50 years ago. What does it matter? just stared at the floor with a, with a hurt, with an anger, detachment. How could you help someone like that? What would Jesus, how, how could he reach somebody's heart that badly broken, that badly wounded? I'm, I'm going to answer that question at the end of my message. But people come with damaged hearts. People live with perpetual regrets. Why did I ever marry him? Why did I ever marry her? My dad told me not to marry him. My mom told me not to marry him. People drove by, slowed down, said, don't marry him. Kept driving. <laughs> Why wasn't I listening? Perpetual regret. See if I can... Practicing criticism and sarcasm. Some marriages are just filled with caustic, snarky, anger with a smile type comments toward each other. Criticism and sarcasm. Leveraging your love, another sign of a damaged heart. I'll love you when. I'll love you if. You get a better job. You lose weight. You get our in-laws out of our marriage. You do this, you do that. I'll love you then. And they use love as a, a bargaining or a leverage, which it was never intended to be. Let's look quickly at 12 different types of damaged hearts that we can find in Scripture. The first one is the abandoned heart. This is the loss of our parents' presence in the formative years. Maybe through divorce, maybe through death, whatever. One parent, maybe both, abandoned us. And we grow up and our hearts are damaged with this fear of abandonment. And every time we have an argument in our marriage, oh no, is this the end of the day? Is this where they, they leave me? What we call the neglected heart. A loss of needed nurture, acceptance, and love. Somebody's there, but they didn't care for us. They didn't understand our needs. They didn't provide in basic ways, perhaps, for us. The angry heart, resentment, outburst, hostility. I just want to stop for a moment and say something about anger. Anger is not really anger, I've come to believe. Well, what is anger? Well, it's a rung on what we call the emotional pain ladder. 
All of us have hearts, and think of your heart as a 12-rung ladder. And when you get hurt, that's rung one. You get onto the ladder. Rung two, hurt causes pain. Number two, pain causes frustration. Rung number three, frustration leads to anger. Rung number four. A lot of individuals with an ang anger problem here today are not really angry, I don't believe. You're frustrated because you're in pain because you've been hurt. And until you resolve the hurt, your anger is never going to go away. But we've been able to help abusive spouses, abusive men. We've been able to stop physical abuse. God has, please understand when I say we, we're just his representative. But we have seen God do this. Because when we go from anger back down to frustration, back to pain, and we resolve the hurt, the anger goes away. By the way, let me give you the rest of the, the rungs on the pain ladder. From, from anger, it moves to depression. A lot of people who are depressed, not in every case, but much depression is just anger turned inward. Then depression morphs into anxiety, where I worry and I'm nervous all the time. From anxiety, we quit talking, the next rung. We don't tell people what's going on in, any, in, in, in ourselves. The next rung, we pull away from relationships. We start isolating ourselves. We start detaching. From there, we lose our sense of personal identity. We don't know who we are anymore. Then we start making impulsive decisions. Next rung up, which a lot of addictions kick in at this point. From impulsive decisions, we go to despair. And from despair, rung 12, suicidal thoughts. You see how we can go up this pain ladder? And where did it all begin? With hurt that was never recognized, never resolved. And the good news we have for people who come to us was no matter where you are on the pain ladder, we don't have five problems, eight problems, three problems. We only have one problem to solve. What's the hurt? Resolve the hurt, the rest collapse on top of it. That's why we see with God's grace, 80% of the couples who come to us stay together. Four out of five who were ready to end their marriage stay. And not only stay, but in many cases begin to prosper and connect and become intimate emotionally for the first time because God has resolved the sin and the pain in their life. Well, let's go beyond the angry heart the defiled heart, this is people who've been abused. Physical, sexual, emotional abuse. You feel you're damaged goods. Nobody's ever going to love me. Not if they know my story. I have to tell people, you're not defiled. The person who hurt you is defiled. But it's not you. The detached heart, that's where we emotionally withdraw in painful situations. We, we shut off our emotions. We're not happy, we're not sad, we're flatlined. And most detached people I meet in a marriage, usually one spouse or the other is detached at this point, was once a very sympathetic person. But they got hurt, they got overwhelmed, and they flipped and they became detached. The good news is you heal the hurt, they become sympathetic again. And they can connect with their spouse, their kids, and others. Um, I may have gotten past the judgmental heart here. Yeah, there it is. Critical and negative evaluation of other people. Let's call this for what it is. It's perfectionism. Uh, listen, I've got this voice inside of me all the time saying, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. 
And guess what my spouse feels? They're not good enough. They're not good enough. They're not good enough. No matter how hard you try, you never come close. It's because your heart has been damaged. The judgmental heart. The bitter heart. I cannot forgive. I cannot let go of the past. I cannot release people. In this next hour, for those of you that choose to stay, I'm going to be sharing on what does it mean to forgive. That's our session in the next room when this is over this morning. What does it mean to forgive? Because I think we have some really wrong ideas about forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean we forget. It does not mean that it didn't hurt. Forgiveness does not mean uh, I automatically restore full trust. Reconciliation and forgiveness are two separate things, and we need to understand them for us to obey God as, as his word would have us. That's the next hour. But the bitter heart cannot forgive. The controlling heart dominates, manipulates other people, controls what people think, dress, how they act, every decision. Let me just tell you what I know about controlling people. They're fearful people. They're filled with fear. Because they're afraid if they're not in control, something's going to happen to them. And they're not going to let that occur. The prideful heart. You become self-focused on your own pain. Now again, you may not have been the person that caused the pain in your life, but when you get focused on it, and that is what you wake up and think about every day, is how I'm hurting, how I'm struggling, you've got no bandwidth left to love your spouse, your kids, or others. It's all about you. Because, well, for a variety of reasons, But in order for your marriage to be healed, you're going to have to get your focus off you, onto Jesus, onto that other person. Well, not only the prideful heart, the rebellious heart. We react negatively to authority figures. And you might be married to a rebel. Ah, when you were dating, it was kind of dangerous. Ah, I'm dating a rebel. Now you're married to them. It's kind of obnoxious at times because... You say, would you take out the garbage, please? No, I'm not going to take it out. Why tell me to, you're trying to control me? What, you're going to be my second mother? You take the garbage out. And it was just the garbage. But there's rebellion. Uh, I don't have time to say this, but uh, a lot of rebellion is not what it looks like. A lot of rebellion I have discovered is based on injustices that have happened in people's lives that were never resolved or acknowledged or validated, and so they threw off the whole system. They got rid of the church, their family, any authority, because that authority didn't protect them and care about them. By the way, that's an explanation, not an excuse. We don't excuse sin, but sometimes we can explain it. And often when that that injustice or hurt gets resolved, wow, the rebellion goes away. It's just been interesting to watch how that can happen. The immoral heart. We indulge in sin and we pursue false intimacy. This affair, that affair, pornography, online, this or that. Again, I can only say an introductory word. But we have seen men freed from decades of pornography and bondage to it. We have seen them freed in this one week. How how are we freed? Because so much immorality, again, explanation, not an excuse, 
people are trying to self-medicate their pain. And pornography is a very powerful anesthetic. But if you heal the hurt in someone's heart, they don't need the anesthetic. And they leave pornography, and they walk away from it never to return. More time I could tell you stories of how that's happened, and it's, praise God, the temporal values heart, we focus on success and material possessions. Again, self-medication. So, what happens? We end up stepping on each other's pain. 90% of us will marry our most difficult parent if we came from a troubled home. <laughs> now, please don't look at the other person. Well, you my dad or my mom. Um, don't do that. I don't want to create friction this morning. Not everybody, okay? You're the exception. But 90% of us will marry our, you go, why do we marry our most, it's what's familiar to us. And then we blame our spouse for being just like my dad or just like my mom, don't we? Well, what's a healed heart? It's one that's released from sin. If sin is what damaged your heart, Jesus can heal that through the cross. Jesus can heal that through a saving relationship. If this were my list of sins, and I die, I have to present this before God. And he won't allow me into heaven with a list of sins. This is Christ's list of sins. There are none. Do you know what Christianity is? It's Jesus' offer to trade sheep. He says, here, give me this. I'll take that. And by the way, you can have this. So when we die, we appear before God with a clean sheet. The righteousness of Christ, and he says, welcome to heaven. Isn't that a wonderful offer? Who, who would reserve? I, I don't know why anyone would, would turn down a deal like that. You mean I can give my list to Jesus, and he took that to the cross? He'll give me his clean list? Such a deal. I urge you today to take that if you have not. So what is a healed heart released from sin and healed by love? See, you cannot heal pain by confession because pain is not a sin. If pain was a sin, you could confess it, repent of it, but pain is pain. The only way it can be taken from your life is for Jesus to heal it. And then for your spouse to care about your pain and to love you in your wounds rather than step on them. That, in short uh, form, is how people get to a healthy relationship where walls come down and hearts are open to give and to receive love. We get to have a front row seat to miracles every month. When the walls come down, people are attracted like magnets to one another who may not have even liked each other for decades. I just finished with this, that couple that came to us where he connected with this woman on Facebook and where he had lost his brother when he was 11 or 10. What do you do with that? You pray. You say, you take the couple and say, Lord Jesus, this young boy's heart was broken at nine years old or ten years old. Almost beyond repair. 
Jesus, show us what it did to his heart when that happened. We listen for God to prompt. The more, in question, more important question is, Jesus, how would you bring healing to his heart? And there we wait for the word of God. John chapter 14 says the Holy Spirit will teach us all things and remind us of everything Jesus has said. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. The way we find peace is we ask God to minister his word to this person with a broken heart. And so we prayed, Lord, how would you take your word, what would you say to our brother today whose heart has been shattered for decades by the loss of his brother and then no one comforted him? This is where the Lord directed us, John 14, and with this I close. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do you see how it begins? He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. The Bible uses the heart 900 times. Anything the Bible says 900 times, we should listen to. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. I said as we were praying, ask Jesus if he prepared a room for your brother in your father's house. Jesus, did you prepare a room for my brother? And as we prayed, he just gained this assurance that God had done so. And then I had this thought. I believe God prompted it. I said, why don't you ask him someday if you can share a room with him again? I don't know how they do housekeeping in heaven, okay? I don't know the floor plan. I don't know anybody does. But there's a, there's a mansion, and there's many rooms. Jesus said so. Jesus, could I have a room with my brother? Could I be next to him? It seems like a crazy prayer, but he asked Jesus that. And then he started crying. And he cried. And he cried, and he put his head down, and he sobbed. And he had his hands in his arms, and he cried. And his wife got up and put her arms around him, and she cried. The two of them wept, I, I think, for ten minutes. They hadn't touched all week. And she had her arms around him, and the two of them were weeping. And I realized that maybe at that moment he was crying the, the tears he should have cried at that funeral so many years ago that had been so kept inside. I just know this, that when he was done, he looked up, his eyes sparkled. They had light in them. He had a smile on his face. It, it, you, you could call it joy in the midst of his tears. His wife looked at him and she didn't hardly know him. She hadn't seen this. They had lived in separate rooms for years in their home. We got a nice note a few months after they were with us. Wrote my wife. His wife said, dear Pastor Bob and Cheryl, I have a new husband. <laughs> Same one. By the way, we believe you should change relationships, not spouses, okay? Get rid of a bad relationship, keep the same spouse. Save you a lot of money, okay? <laughs> a lot of other things go with that. She said, I have a new spouse. She said, he follows me all over the house. She said, I cannot get away from the man. She said, I'm trying to do dishes and these arms come around my waist. And I go, just let me put them in the dishwasher first, will you? 
She said, I cannot get him to leave me alone. We used to live in separate rooms, remember? She said, number two, he reads the Bible to me every morning. He wants to pray with me. He never wanted to pray. He never read the Bible. He says, honey, let me read this before we go. Number three, she said, he sends me texts during the day, text messages now. She said, I could never show them to anybody, believe me. Um, he sends me messages, let me just tell you. What happened? You know, when that week was over, I remembered I forgot to talk about Facebook, I forgot to talk about the affair. I didn't even really bring it up. That was only the fruit, it wasn't the root. When Jesus healed the pain from his past, the walls came down, he was able to give and receive love, his marriage began all over again. And this was a couple in their late 50s. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus was right. The heart is the issue. And when Jesus heals our heart, everything changes. Heavenly Father, I thank you that there is a solution. Sometimes marriages appear so far gone, so desperate, so beyond help, so over. But with you, nothing is impossible. You created us to give and receive love, and you can restore that. And when you do, the miracles begin. I pray for every marriage here today that they could give and receive love as you intended. And if they're struggling, that they'll let you heal their, their pain and forgive their sin and find a new beginning. Thank you that marriage is as close to any relationship on earth as Christ to the church and the church to Christ. Let our marriages truly reflect that living reality. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, Bob. Bob is going to be back as well in November, and his topic is going to be, how do we touch the heart? And he's going to preach in the morning, and then that, from that evening on, He's going to do seminars on how we can be equipped to reach the hearts of our neighbors and our friends and uh, do somewhat of what he does with, with uh, that in a different way, but, but in that. So I'd encourage you to put the first week of November on your calendar. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward as we remember the Lord with our gifts. Father, we thank you for the gift of worship this morning, worship through your word, worship through song, worship through prayer. We just thank you for worship. We thank you that it is the heart you want to transform. We thank you that you change roots so you can change the fruits. And now, Father, use these gifts to do your work, both here in Buffalo, in Wright County, and in the world. In Jesus' name.